Welcome to the Placebo Magic Podcast, the podcast about theatrical spiritual practice for atheists. I'm your host, Durmak, the wizard and peasant lord of this vast 10-acre realm of Habdur, also known as Farm Code Gary, also known as Garrison Benson. Greetings, Placebo Mages. Today we're talking about pop culture paganism. Pop culture paganism is a newish trend within paganism where instead of working with ancient deities like Odin or Hecate or whoever, you work with characters from pop culture like Yoda or Spider Man or Galadriel. Of course, at face value, it sounds pretty silly to worship a character that somebody just made up during recorded history, but pop culture pagans have a few different approaches for justifying it. Some pop culture pagans believe that they're actually interacting with the same ancient deities as traditional pagans, and that those deities are willing to inhabit different forms to different people depending on their cultural context. So, like maybe by worshipping Odin or Yoda, you're actually worshipping the same underlying deity. A different way of justifying it is the idea that new gods spring into existence when people believe in them. So under that interpretation, George Lucas and Frank Oz invented Yoda, bazillions of people saw the Empire Strikes Back, and then sooner or later through collective consciousness, a new god arose based on the fictional character of Yoda. And a third interpretation within this subculture is basically the placebo magic approach that Gods are not real, but symbols and metaphors can have a powerful effect on our psychology, and since many of us already feel strong connections with certain characters from modern pop culture, it's often a more natural fit to use them as our symbolic spirit guides, as opposed to characters from the mythologies of foreign times and foreign cultures. And I think that's essentially the main benefit to pop culture paganism. Our pop culture stories, our Star Wars and Harry Potter and Breaking Bad and Ghostbusters, are just our civilization's equivalents to the mythologies of ancient cultures. Some parts of those ancient mythologies still resonate today, but many don't, either because we don't understand the context or because our values have changed. I'm thinking, for instance, of all the times in the Bible's Old Testament when the all-loving, all-knowing God straight-up genocides a whole society so that his chosen ethnicity can take their land. Or when Zeus constantly transforms into animals to seduce or rape women behind his wife's back. Those stories reflect the values of their cultures and times of origin, and it can be very awkward to use the gods and goddesses and heroes of those stories within a modern spiritual practice. Our modern pop culture narratives tend to reflect our contemporary society's values, and whether they take place hundreds of years in the future, or thousands of years in the past, or in a galaxy far, far away, they're written so that a modern audience can understand them. From a placebo magic standpoint, a spiritual entity, which is basically an imaginary character being simulated in your brain's social circuitry, becomes more real and more powerful the more you've internalized that character. Reading or watching stories about fictional characters basically imports them into your brain's library of people, right alongside your friends and family, as well as the celebrities you follow and your deceased loved ones. In all of those cases, your brain is basically running a little simulation to try to understand and anticipate another person, part of our evolutionary adaptation toward being a social creature. 
So by taking a character like Hermione Granger and turning her into a spirit guide, a lot of the work in bringing that person to life in your mind has already been done for you. By reading the Harry Potter books or watching the movies, you already have a strong sense for how this Hermione would react in different situations, just as you would for a loved one with whom you'd spent a lot of time. WWHD, what would Hermione do? There are a few common criticisms leveled against pop culture paganism. The first we already mentioned, that it's silly to worship a character who's obviously just made up. This isn't really a concern for the placebo mage, since we accept that all deities are just made up and that doesn't diminish their value. That said, even for a placebo mage, it's still probably going to feel silly worshipping Pikachu, more so than worshipping one of the old gods. With placebo magic, if your subconscious takes something seriously, it'll probably work much better than something it dismisses as silly, regardless of the relative rational merits of either. A second major criticism is that most characters in pop culture are trademarked by corporations who control what can and can't be published using that character. This could be a major limitation if you want to share your practice with the world. It also means that, to a certain extent, by worshipping a certain character, you may be giving a certain corporation some power over your spiritual life. Most of us don't see corporations as the most ethical actors in our world, so having corporate strings attached is a little icky. That said, while a corporation can, in theory, control what gets published using their trademarks, if they can't in practice keep people from sharing Kirk slash Spock gay romance fanfiction over the internet, they certainly can't keep you from praying to a Spock action figure and asking him to help you reconcile logic and emotion. Ultimately, a corporation can't control the relationship you have with its characters and its stories. Besides, it's not all that different from any other religion throughout history. Big, powerful churches try to enforce what they think is orthodox, i.e. canon, the right and wrong ways of worshipping, and while they have vast sums of money and political clout and the power of propaganda, at the end of the day, they can't control your spiritual life. That's why religions are constantly breaking off from one another, forming new sects. A third criticism is that contemporary pop culture stories haven't been tested by time and refined over time, the way that stories from ancient oral traditions have. And that's a fair point, but in my opinion, it's somewhat counterbalanced by the fact that our values have changed, and ancient mythologies often have problematic elements deeply woven throughout. Racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, and the glorification of violence and rape and revenge. While I appreciate ancient mythologies from a historical standpoint, and I think they can contain a lot of wisdom, I don't believe that something being old automatically makes it more valuable than something new. For instance, I could much more readily endorse the values presented in Harry Potter than those presented in the Old Testament. The last two criticisms I think are a little more valid. One is that, compared to traditional paganism, pop culture paganism is much less rooted in nature. Traditional mythologies formed in societies where the vast majority of people lived off the land, and where most people lived their entire lives in the same local area. Though they feature fantastic elements and other planes of existence, they also tie into real-world locations like the Nile River or Mount Olympus or Jerusalem. And because many ancient mythologies used deities and other supernatural elements to help make sense of the forces of nature, today those mythologies function as metaphors for nature, Persephone as goddess of vegetation, Poseidon as god of the sea, 
I think it's less likely that pop culture mythologies would lead you to a closer relationship with your local ecosystem. The final criticism I'm going to address here is that while using traditional mythologies helps you to feel connected to humanity going back through history, pop culture paganism has kind of the opposite effect, setting you squarely in a modern age that would have been incomprehensible to all but your most recent ancestors. And traditional mythologies have millennia of writing and teaching to discover, so you could spend a lifetime turning over new facets of the same stories as you read different commentaries and interpretations. I've read or heard some very profound interpretations of Star Wars, but for every good exegesis of The Empire Strikes Back or The Matrix, there are a thousand for the Book of Job or the Tao Te Ching. And if you follow in an ancient tradition, you can walk into a cathedral or a temple that was built in the ancient past and feel these echoes through time as you share in stories and practices that have moved humans for millennia. So that just about covers the pros and cons of pop culture paganism, but how do you actually practice it? Pretty much exactly the same as any other kind of magic. I think the most common application would be to invoke or pray to fictional characters for guidance and strength. You might use figurines or stuffed animals or artwork to help you feel the presence of the character, or just close your eyes and visualize them. You might also meditate on the deeper meanings of passages or scenes from your chosen media, just like how other religious practitioners use myths and scriptures. You might use specific quotes as little affirmations and reminders throughout the day. Keep your concentration here and now where it belongs. But Master Yoda said I should be mindful of the future. But not at the expense of the moment. Breathe the free air again, my friend. Those are a few examples that probably wouldn't freak out your grandma too much, but really you can use pop culture characters, stories, and texts in any use of magic. Spellcasting, scrying, channeling divination, etc., etc. In any situation in which you might invoke an ancestor spirit or a genius Loki or a deity, you can instead invoke a fictional character. In any situation where you might use an ancient text, you can instead use a modern text. You might model a specific ritual or spell based on one displayed within a story. You might banish unwanted feelings of shame by holding a staff and sword in front of you and shouting, Go back to the shadow! You might sit cross-legged and reach out like Rey in The Last Jedi. Breathe. Just breathe. Reach out with your feelings. What do you see? The island. Life. Death and decay that feeds new life. Warmth. Cold. Peace. Violence. And between it all. Balance and energy. A force. 
and inside you. Inside me, that same force. In my personal spiritual tradition, I don't technically practice pop culture paganism and that I don't explicitly invoke any of those stories or characters in my ritual work, but I do take a lot of inspiration from pop culture and blend it into my practice. My idealized self as a wizard is roughly 50% inspired by real-world neo-paganism and 50% inspired by Gandalf, though I don't ever pray to Gandalf. The metaphors I use for the inner field of consciousness and subconsciousness are heavily inspired by the Force from Star Wars. The fairies I ask for aid in regulating my emotions are modeled after the fairies from The Legend of Zelda video games, who provide advice and healing and help you to focus your aim on one specific target among many possible targets. The spirit portals that I build on my land are inspired mostly by video games. The magical language that I'm creating for myself draws inspiration in various ways from science fiction and fantasy. To me, by borrowing ideas from modern works that have inspired me, without explicitly referencing them, I can capitalize on the power of that inspiration, without my spiritual practice feeling like a hodgepodge mashup episode of Robot Chicken. To me, the aesthetic elegance of my practice matters, the parts all fitting together into one cohesive whole. That said, in non-ritual context, I do use pop culture extensively in my spiritual life, as a source of inspiration and a focus of contemplation, pondering on the meaning and symbolism in movies or books. Anyway, your mileage may vary. You should experiment and use what works best for you, whether that involves traditional mythologies or modern pop culture mythologies, or like me, your own DIY mythologies. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo. The ones that really mattered full of darkness and danger they were and sometimes you didn't want to know the end because how could the end be happy how could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened but in the end it's only a passing thing this shadow even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it'll shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you. That meant something. Even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Furlough, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't. They kept going. Because they were holding on to something. What are we holding on to, Sam? But there's some good in this world, Mr. Furl. And it's worth fighting for. Now it's time for Bardic Verse. Today's poem is entitled 
Batman When Batman saved Gotham, having finally figured out how to synthesize an antidote, he couldn't go back to just being Bruce Wayne. Like most superheroes, Batman is maladjusted for everyday life, maladapted to a saved world. When Noah touched solid ground, having preserved human and animal kind and much too old to be much use in the hard work of repopulation, what divine quest remained? So he got drunk and he got naked. Can we who imagine ourselves heroes ever truly desire to save the world when we've known ourselves only as characters in stories? In a colorful world of world-threatening crises, villains, victims, heroes, heartbreaks, clues, breakthroughs, we know how to belong. But in a world without villains, there are no victims. And without victims, there are no heroes. What keeps the world's greatest detective from pausing to consider more practical mysteries, like why don't the patients in Arkham ever get better? Or at least, why have the locks never been upgraded? The staff never properly trained to resist the manipulations of the criminally insane. What is so discomforting to Batman about comfort itself, so unsafe about safety? Post-salvation Batman listens for the Batphone, trains for his Joker's faithful return, and sometimes between sessions of thwapping training dummies in his basement, or laying around drunk and naked, save for the cape and cowl, Batman searches the Bat computer for any information about Bruce Wayne. Who is this guy anyway? What are his hobbies? Who does he love and why does she neither leap nor dangle from rooftops? What does he want? What is his motive, his motivation? Most of all, where is the special phone that summons him? reminding him right now is the nick of time when the world needs him most. You can find the Placebo Magic Podcast and my poetry and other writing on the web at farmcodegary.com. Send your feedback to farmcodegary at protonmail.com and let me know if I can read your feedback on the show. Music is by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com and licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. You can support the show by giving us a review on your podcast app of choice, sharing an episode with a friend, or becoming a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash placebo magic. Patreon supporters also gain access to our Patreon-exclusive bonus show. Remember, magic is a metaphor, and metaphor is magical.